Hi, everyone. For this week's podcast show, I thought I'd do something a little different. We have created a compilation of the topics in psychedelics that have been aired over the last year and a half. Psychedelics are a really hot topic and one that is dear to my heart. I thought it would be really good to review some basic information that includes safety, various types of psychedelic therapies, and its profound healing potential. You'll be hearing from our past guests that include Dr. Dan Engel with Kuya, Dr. Michael Verbora and Sabina Palai with Field Trip, and Benjamin Smith with Disco. I hope you enjoyed this week's show. Allopathic care has its place in the ER, in the OR, in triage medicine, in acute care management. We're really good at that, but we're pretty lousy in allopathic care with preventative care and with chronic care. And so every discipline has its sacred place at the table. And so what does it look like as we evolve from allopathic care through functional medicine now into transformational medicine, where we actually have tools to support people's conscious awakening experience into a more embodied presence of true self, full authenticity, growing in psychic empowerment, resiliency, and switched on to what our dharma is or what we're here to do, like the sacred work. And ideally, we do that in a way that teaches people how to fish and not just gives them fish. And that's essentially what these medicines do. They, they, they help heal the core issues that are stimulating the primary five psychiatric epidemics right now. Depression, anxiety, PTSD, addiction, and pain. And with these medicines, when they're used therapeutically in a really excellent container with supreme facilitation, the healing is transformational and it's extraordinarily effective and exponentially better than the standard of care. Psychedelic assisted psychotherapy uses psychedelic medicines to facilitate the psychotherapeutic process. So in general, I would say that what's different about this paradigm is that we start with the belief that the individual is not broken, that they already have within them the wisdom that can help them thrive in this world. In this therapy, you know, we help them access those parts of themselves, those parts of themselves that might be quiet, that might be hidden, um, and, and amplify them through these medicines, right? Help them encounter parts of themselves they may feel like they lost um, or they weren't developed. So things like connection, things like acceptance, compassion are acknowledged and normalized even when the surrounding culture may have given the individual a very different message about what is important and what will make them happy. Um, so I, I see that as the, the difference in psychedelic psychotherapy in particular. You know, as someone who definitely had, you know, a little bit higher anxiety than probably the average person, you know, ever since I started, you know, using psychedelics, um, you know, that's definitely dissipated. One, not just because of the exogenous substance that I'm taking, but more because of the awareness that those substances bring to me. So yes, in my personal experience, you know, psychedelics can be very, very powerful in, in really helping you look inwards and, you know, just addressing problems that you know are there on a daily basis, whether that's, you know, you react angrily to people too often, or you let, you know, one small minute thing bother you consistently, but you don't do anything about it. 
And for me personally, psychedelics have brought a lot of awareness to that and in my opinion have helped make me a much better person. And as you put it, you know, raising vibrational energy, I think what that means sort of in layman's terms, from my understanding is, you know, you're, you're just a better person, you know, you're happier, you have a, you know, a lot more awareness about your faults. And for me personally too, you know, it's helped diminish my ego and, and use it more strategically. And thus, you know, the people around me, you know, both in my inner circle and sort of the outer circle that I touch are, are, are sort of all benefactors of that, you know, better Ben, if you will. If my usual operating system is one of disempowerment, victimization, blame, judgment, criticism, internally and outwardly, if that's all I know, then it's hard to fathom what it's going to be like to be content and peaceful and happy. And in relationship, if I don't know what it's like to have a safe, secure experience in a relationship, and I'm, and I'm working around these, these different fear programs around abandonment and rejection and inconsistency and potentially intimacy not being a reliable situation because I wasn't modeled that way. Give any of those examples, and then you put people through a fairly efficient, and the, and the time course is different for everybody, but a fairly efficient process, say a three-month or so process, to work through those deep layers, to work through those programs and belief structures, get a sense of what the operating system used to be like, and now in reflection – of uh, a process that I can actually engage from a witness perspective, look at my thinking, and then choose how I want to move forward. Choose the, the thoughts and the programs and the, the, the now clear internal narrative that I'm wanting to anchor my life around. Now I might be able to more readily experience safety and security in relationships more self-love and self-worth and therefore peace and contentment internally and therefore also more self-love and self-worth that I can see in others and recognize that we're all connected here and everybody's going through their own kind of thing together. Accessing an experience that is so outside of your day-to-day -day life and knowing that happiness is possible knowing that connection is possible, knowing that there's beauty in this world when you, all you've experienced in your life is suffering and pain can be healing in and of itself. So I think psychedelics, generally speaking, are a very powerful tool when used respectfully and appropriately to you know, further your mind and then also really look deeply inwards, as you said. Um, you know, for folks that haven't had the opportunity to, for whatever reason, um, you know, use various psychedelics. Um, you know, there's definitely a stigma attached to it still, like on a national and potentially global level. But, you know, fortunately now, there's a massive movement happening um, with a variety of different psychedelics from LSD to psilocybin and MDMA and a few others, including ketamine as well, that, you know, has real clinical benefits, uh, medical benefits with studies and, um, you know, very happy people who have used these, um, you know, substances or medicines, if you will, um, to benefit them in massive ways, specifically for, you know, PTSD, depression, anxiety, etc. When I think of the psychedelics that are commonly 
discussed, researched, reported today, there are the big 10. And if we put those into a stratified hierarchy, then it's kind of like going into the gym. And some of my friends are just beasts in the gym. (laughs) And to be honest, I haven't been in a gym in a long time. My workouts are varied and they're usually in nature, but they're not in a gym. So I'm not going to just get under the squat rack and try and crush 300 pounds on my first day. Right. And if I do that, I'm probably going to get injured. Right. So similarly, if people don't have any experience in working with transcendent states and psychedelic states, then I wouldn't start with a level three protocol straight away. So if we look at hierarchy, then hierarchy essentially also just means sacred order. And if we think about the the medicines that are the easiest to usually navigate from the experience side, as well as the facilitation side, they're all pretty safe. The likelihood of success is pretty high and the likelihood of something really squirrely happening or a bad trip is fairly low. Then the level one medicines, the first entry of the hierarchy, low-dose LSD, because high-dose LSD is a completely different beast. Low-dose LSD, psilocybin, MDMA, ketamine, cannabis. Mm-hmm. Level two, and these are medicines that have been held in hundreds, if not thousands of years of tradition and require a degree of training to be able to expertly facilitate so as opposed to being a sitter level two really require excellence in the facilitation and these are medicines like ayahuasca san pedro cactus and peyote and the level three medicines have more risk both physiologically and psychologically and this is ibogaine or iboga iboga being the whole plant ibogaine being the primary extract and DMT. DMT is not so much dangerous physically, but it can be psychologically if people aren't ready to have that size of an experience. It's fairly short, but it's really big. And nothing is going to encourage the ego to die as much as DMT compared to all the other medicines or in comparison to something like a near-death experience, right? It's There's a huge experience of the ego being transported or catapulted out of the body and some people if they go straight to dmt because it's getting so much press now they can have a really big freak out have a bad trip and that can leave a psychological scar or even a tear in the psychic field if we want to describe it that way that needs a fair bit of time to repair right so if we just look at each of those medicines there's five in level one three in level two and two in level three there's escalating requirement really to know what people are getting into and to have some training. Why ketamine? What is the the useful properties of ketamine that allows this specific therapy to work well? Yeah, well, well, first and foremost, uh, ketamine is really the only legal psychedelic that physicians um, can prescribe, at least here in Canada and and, and in the U.S. as well. So um, one, we're kind of trapped in that box, but, but there's research for the last 10 to 20 years that demonstrate uh, ketamine at typically sub-anesthetic doses are antidepressive, uh, are anti-anxiety, have neuro-anti-inflammatory properties, 
Um, and uh, there's a whole host of, of evidence now with IV ketamine as well as observational studies with um, you know, ketamine-assisted psychotherapy and lozenges that demonstrate that this drug, when combined with psychotherapy, has positive effects for some of the most treatment-resistant conditions, particularly treatment-resistant depression. Um, so we're kind of trapped in that box, um, and we're developing the paradigm around ketamine because it's the most uh, legally accessible drug. But I think with time, through through MAPS and other organizations who are doing a lot of this research, we're going to see a whole host of different combinations of uh, psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy from psilocybin to MDMA to ayahuasca or, or DMT. Um, and then we're going to develop specific therapies that go with these drugs to ultimately heal the individual from a biochemical, psychosocial, spiritual perspective, which is what a lot of Western medicine is missing, is encompassing that whole individual. And these drugs allow for that. The synthetics K, LSD, MDMA, all relatively new in the last 80 years. These are all found and like developed in between the 30s and the 50s and then found to be really beneficial for their little niche. So prior to 1900s, yeah, all the other medicines <laughs> have been used culturally for hundreds if not thousands of years. And psilocybin goes back up to a million years in the fossil record. That's amazing. And was probably something, if you looked at the stoned ape theory or hypothesis by Dennis and Terrence McKenna, maybe psilocybin was even part of what helped us evolve. <laughs> yeah, about 200,000 years ago from Homo erectus into Homo sapiens. Is we had this like massive increase in brain volume. Well, if you experience, if you just read that, you're like, oh, yeah, maybe so. But if you experience psilocybin, you're like, oh, wow, yeah, that kind of makes sense. Because <laughs> what it's doing to me in the felt experience feels like it's expanding my consciousness. And oh, by the way, yes, it also stimulates synaptogenesis and BDNF and may even support new neuronal growth, not just improved synaptic connection, but actually the growth of new neurons. Yes, it's legal. And yes, ketamine is, is considered a dissociative. And yet it can produce incredibly classically psychedelic experiences, much in the way that you might normally think of a psychedelic experience. And, you know, that's because psychedelic medicines, uh, research has shown that certain parts of the brain called the default mode network are quieted during these experiences, as well as in meditative experiences and other states where people experience flow. So this brain network is responsible for a sense of self and ego, really. So this is the part of you that's thinking, judging, categorizing, analyzing. It's, it's disconnecting you from the world, but it's trying to keep you safe, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, in ketamine-assisted psychotherapy, those defenses are softened. That ego is softened and allows the individual to open up, be more vulnerable, access forgotten memories, repressed emotions, um, and really engage in the psychotherapeutic process. Um, so it allows them to see their past experiences with a gentler perspective. A lot of people say that with ketamine um, in particular, and I've worked with a few others, but ketamine in particular can give them some uh, space from their thoughts, where they're watching their thoughts. And I actually find that in particular, 
compared to all the other psychedelics, it allows um, them to access a meditative state. Um, and through my experience facilitating meditation and long-term meditation, you know, I, I see that my clients are accessing similar places uh, through ketamine. Personally, for me, before I started my spiritual encounter with psychedelics, I was suffering from a lot of isolation, uh, a lot of anxiety, and, and this is all stemming from my history of cancer and a divorce that resulted from me going through cancer treatment and, and, and cancer. And I didn't understand how bad I was until I started to delve into psychedelics as it gave me an opportunity to understand um, what it's like to be more in the moment instead of ruminating about the future and having regrets about the past. And that was really for me front and center when I did my first psychedelic experience. And it continues to be that way when I, and I do more of it. I, t I continue to have more improvements with my daily life. I'm more focused on doing things that help me heal from within. I don't really care about things like materialism anymore. It's not something that I'm really focused on. I used to have businesses and run businesses and my whole way of thought was, let's see how much money we can make or let's see how much power you know, it's going to bring me. I don't have that anymore. And I really feel that's a, a, a significant result of my utilization of psychedelics and spiritual enlightenment. And there's been numerous studies to purport all this. Um, if you just Google this, you can see all the research that's been in there. And I quote a lot of research in my book when I discuss psychedelics. You and I were raised with the whole war on drugs. And many of the medicines that I speak about in regards to the psychedelics were classified as drugs because of the popular media at the time and the fact that in the early 70s, the Nixon administration was freaked out about everything that was going on in the Vietnam era and the revolution that was happening and was growing at a cultural level. And LSD was the poster child of the wrongness and the dangers of transcendental states. And truth be known, too, many people were using psychedelics recklessly and without reverence and without deep therapeutic intent. And, and that's not to say that recreational usage doesn't also have its place. But if we're talking about shifting the healing paradigm and expanding the trajectory of where medicine is going, we're speaking about medicines in a therapeutic context, not just the recreational. And so as all of this starts to expand, what we're going to see and what you and I are a part of and, and our field is growing into is establishing these protocols and right practices and new standards of care for efficacy and excellence with psychedelics in transformational process and putting those protocols into a clinical format where people actually have the opportunity to go to established clinics with trained providers and have a transformational process be worked through the arc of experience from soup to nuts, so to speak, right? So the onboarding preparation is excellent. The experience is excellent. And the integration on the other side is excellent. And when we have those protocols and those clinics established, we're going to see a complete revolution in mental health care. While some of the research has suggested that mystical experiences uh, lead to better outcomes, what I've been seeing in, uh, in the clinic, actually, is that the psychotherapeutically focused sessions really are the ones that lead to life-changing 
um, experiences uh, because clients get to process a lot of the things that they're coming in with. Um, and it leads to more durable change, right? Because the mystical experience can't fade, right? We want them to be able to really uh, work through some things while they're here. You were telling me, I think it was you, or there's some research affirming that usage of psilocybin, or I'm sorry, it's MDMA with PTSD, there's like an astonishing like 80% like cure rate. Is that correct? Yeah, 83% cure rate in phase one trials. And in the phase two trials, with using different therapeutics stacked on the MDMA, like how you're using it psychotherapeutically, whether using internal family systems or somatic experiencing or Hakomi or a variety of others, maybe down to like 68%. So if you just split the difference, you're in the mid 70s, which is five or six times better than the standard of care. And because that's for cure rate, that's right. not improvement rate. Right. That's people after two to three sessions with MDMA-supported psychotherapy no longer meeting criteria for PTSD at all, much less the standard of care, which is like 20 to 30% improvement rate. With what is the current CBT. standard of care? It's usually two things, CBT and psychopharmacology. Right. And that's usually polypharmacy. So two to three different psychiatric medications stacked on with cognitive behavioral therapy is maybe 20 to 35% improvement rate, kind of depending on the studies you look at and, and where they're doing it and how the CBT is being rolled out, et cetera. So it's orders of magnitude better. And so it, it's just going to make sense that this gets rolled out slowly so that the feds feel comfortable and that we build the standards of care and the excellence in the onboarding process for the clients and the clinicians like how do you train clinicians to do this work really well right so all of this is slowly getting implemented it's absolutely remarkable to be able to have patients um who who are, are extremely sick and you know oftentimes suicidal um and then just a day later after coming to the clinic uh completely have a light shined on their life and totally feel differently so um, you know, the work we do is, is just so rewarding and, and we're working with extremely complex patients. And I think with time, we're also going to see that um, ketamine safe and, and probably uh, helpful for people who aren't just, you know, treatment resistant and extremely sick, but probably, you know, a lot of folk who just have a lot of chronic anxiety, stress and, and depression. You know, I, I view psychedelics as a very powerful tool when used appropriately and respectfully. Again, got to get that asterisk in there, um, you know, in the right set and setting. Um, and making sure that whatever you are using is, is pure and clean, um, candidly speaking, they can be extremely helpful. And, you know, all the research and studies that are being done now that have helped, you know, some of the guys that have come back from Iraq um, and Afghanistan and the other various parts of the Middle East um, with the PTSD is, is quite overwhelming. And honestly, I think we're going to see uh, a monumental shift in the drug industry, the pharmaceutical industry, you know, as these um, medicines become legalized and taking off, taken off the schedule, um, you know, especially to help people. So, you know, gone are the reliance, you know, on antidepressants, hopefully, and, um, you know, lengthy and costly PTSD treatments when, you know, in a matter of one to two sessions, you know, a couple hundred bucks, you know, you can really provide significant relief to folks who've suffered through, you know, beyond traumatic events, whether that's at war or in a car crash or some sort of 
um, other traumatic experience, you know, that to me is, is reason enough to really, you know, start to pay more attention to this. And I think, you know, the, the older generations that really have a negative stigma attached to psychedelics because of the seventies and the Vietnam war and whatnot, they'll start to even, um, you know, start to have a more open mind as they see the research and the benefits here, you know, they may never be fully convinced by it and, and willing to try it, you know, maybe like you and I, but, we just need everybody to get on board with this because this is an inevitability. It's going to happen regardless. It's better to be on the right side of this than the wrong side of this. So what we saw happen last year here in Denver is we decriminalized psilocybin. And then like two weeks later, or maybe a month later, Oakland went and decriminalized all natural medicines, which was great. Right. So their kind of platform is decriminalized nature. And then Chicago a handful of months went with the same decrim nature piece. And Chicago's a huge municipality. Know, right. Right. So that was that was about as big as, as Denver going get. for psilocybin. Because Oakland wasn't a populist vote. It was a vote at the city council. So you only had like twelve people sitting around a table saying, Oh yeah, this would be good. Let's go for that. Which is great. And I always get curious, like, what do the people want? And so when Chicago went decrim nature, it's like, oh, geez, that's huge. And now there are something like 120 municipalities that have votes coming on the ballot in the next year or so. And it might just be for psilocybin or it could be all the way up to decrim nature. Could be small little places like Port Townsend went. And, you know, Port Townsend's pretty progressive and fairly small. And you're like, oh, yeah, I could see that. Berkeley went, you're like, oh, yeah, I could see that. But no, there are other really big municipalities and cities going for it as well. I think we're going to see amazing things happen in this arena in the next handful of years, particularly in the next decade. And it's such an exciting time to be in the field. It's going to be interesting to see, um, not just with MDMA or ketamine, but like psilocybin fits somewhere in there, LSD fits somewhere in there. And these are what we're calling macro dosing, psychedelic transformation experiences. And then, you know, in a whole other category, you got even these micro doses, mm-hmm. which are subperceptual doses, and those might have some mild therapeutic processes. So there's this whole spectrum that we're, you know, we're just filling in these gaps of knowledge. We have a whole bunch of experience that's anecdotal, but now we're doing the research to kind of understand what's the right, you know, protocol, the right dose, the right client to maximize outcomes. And and I'm so excited for this future. And it's so nice to have a renaissance. Um, And it couldn't be coming at a better time for the world. For sure. sure. Across the board, you know, clients are accessing parts of themselves that they've never experienced. And it is beautiful to witness. It is incredibly rewarding work to see change happen in six sessions, which is really unheard of in psychotherapy. Mm consistently for myself and I've seen this with countless friends, family and clients that there's life before medicine and life after medicine. Mm -hmm. And now we also know that not only can I experience life in a different way and, and potentially in a way that's more beautiful and gorgeous and abundant and inspired and connected than I thought possible. I also now know that I have a tool to be able to continue to utilize throughout the rest of my life Mm -hmm. that can continue to help me orient towards truth. The medicines won't save us, but what they do is help us orient towards truth. And if I can continue to do that, 
then now I'm, I'm re-referencing my experience internally and I know I've got an ally that can continue to support my evolution.